0: Some of you old-timers will remember. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, a lot of you remember that. You heard that before. So, of course, that's a copyrighted phrase. I got to pay the estate of Bill Sanders every time I use it. So that's why I don't say it pretty much every Sunday I get up here. But anyway, want to say happy Mother's Day to all the moms. And uh, also wanted to not be overly critical of uh, of Steve's oversight and his welcoming of the visitors. But uh, you know, when we ask, is there, are there are there anybody, are there any people here who haven't been here before? You forgot one. Audrey Faylor was here for the first time. Where'd she go? Oh, okay. Mom is doing those, the things that mom do with little babies. Yeah, yeah. So, in other words, Audrey must be hungry or dirty, right? One <laughs> or the other. <laughs> or maybe both. <laughs> so, anyway. Let's read from... Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, not a a very typical Mother's Day passage. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that on this Mother's Day we have mothers whose consciences were not seared, and that they chose to give life to each of us who are living and breathing right here this moment in this room. And Father, we pray that as we explore the issues of life here this morning, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, you would teach us, and we would hear truly from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, by now you've probably figured out that if you were hoping for a traditional Mother's Day message, where we honor the mothers, where we praise them, and we talk about all the wonderful things that they are, which is perfectly appropriate. I've done that. The other elders have done that. Let me say from the very start that you're going to be disappointed. Now, I want to ask you how many preachers and pulpits across America will tell you that you're going to be disappointed in their sermon today. Probably not very many. The American incarnation of Mother's Day was created by a woman named Anna Jarvis in 1908 became an official U.S. holiday in 1914. Jarvis would later denounce the commercialization of the day and spent later parts of her life actually trying to remove it from the calendar. Uh, She thought originally of Mother's Day as a way of honoring the sacrifices that mothers made for their children. Of course, we as believers in Christ mark Mother's Day for a similar reason, don't we? We appropriately honor mothers for the amazingly challenging role that mothers fill in our lives, and uh, for the love that they give us, which is certainly very sacrificial in many ways. But as believers, and even among many secular Mother's Day traditions, we also honor moms because we recognize their role in God's purposes. They can bear life. That's something only women can do, and most of the time us guys are pretty glad of that. All of us must recognize that human beings continue to exist on this earth because of mothers. That's a gift of God to us. So we glorify God as the author of life and we honor mothers because of their unique role in God's plan to give life. But sadly though, as Jim noted last week, we live in the best of times and we live in the worst of times. Motherhood is under attack in America and in many other parts of the world. I have to tell you that my study and research for this message this morning was in many ways really quite disturbing. I promise we will end this morning with hope and with a way forward, yet I firmly believe it's also important for us to understand the battle that we are in. I don't really like the culture wars label with some of the issues that we uh, hear about every day on the news. But nevertheless, uh, it's clear that abortion, the single biggest attack on motherhood, was a moral issue long before it was a political issue or a culture wars issue. TCF, you may have noticed, is quite intentionally not a political church. The vast majority of political hot potatoes will not be addressed from this pulpit because we recognize that true Christians can have different opinions on most political issues and still be strong and faithful followers of Christ so in some ways I realize I'm probably preaching to the choir today I'm guessing most of us would classify ourselves as pro-life but the value of life is so clear in Scripture that we cannot ignore this issue and even if we wanted to we cannot in this cultural moment now my hope is that when we're done today we'll have a better understanding of the many challenges of the debate about life issues for us. So today on Mother's Day, in honor of all the moms here who chose to give life to their children, a truly godly choice, isn't that an ironic way to phrase this? I want to review a few key things. I want us to know well what we're up against, sort of a state of the battlefront. I want us to understand with clarity what the Word of God tells us about this issue. And at the very end, I want to give us some practical hope about how we can faithfully and fruitfully confront this issue with the love of Jesus. The battlefront is where we're going to start this morning. And it's like nailing jello to a wall. Has anybody ever tried to do that? It's kind of a moving target. Because though the righteousness of the pro-life cause hasn't changed in the 40-plus years since, uh, well, I guess it's closing in on 50 years almost that uh, abortion's been legal, the arguments of pro-aborts continue to evolve. As more people see the reality of the unborn and the absolute emptiness of the case for abortion. This is true whether we argue from a biblical worldview, which we will to some degree, or simply a human rights view. For many years, pro-lifers thought that, okay, if we have clear reason, and if we have education, and we love these people, we could help them understand that unborn children were not, as pro-aborts would tell them, just a blob of tissue. The science is, and always clearly has been, on the side of the pro-life view. From the moment of conception, science textbooks tell us this, not just the word of God, science textbooks tell us very clearly that's the beginning of a human life. There's never been any real argument about that. But with the uh, the advent of ultrasound technology, which has vastly improved over the years, we were able to show a beating heart at about six weeks. But by then, the pro-abortion movement had already developed and spread, which has become the single smartest, most devious, and deceptive argument perhaps ever developed in the service of killing. Pro-choice. Pro-choice. How could anyone be against choosing? Isn't that the American way? After all, that's almost patriotic. We're pro-choice. We wanted to choose to govern ourselves. It goes back to 1776, right? We want to be able to choose what's best for us. Well, this argument is, of course, very deceptive because seldom do you hear people talking about what they are choosing. Although more recently, and this is a scary thing, we're even seeing pro-aborts speak clearly about what they're choosing and deciding that they still want that choice. That's where the seared consciences come in, the title of this morning's message and an opening passage of Scripture that we looked at. And if people who are pro-abortion, and uh, let me just say again, we're going to notice here several times that language matters. I will not use the pro-aborts language. I will not use their language of um, pro-choice because what are they for? They are pro-abortion. They are for abortion. But... If they do admit what that choice is, they often speak in euphemisms. And again, this is where language matters. Product of conception. Pregnancy removal. Contents of the uterus. Think about this. You don't remove a pregnancy. Pregnancy is a condition. It's not a person. But this argument has taken root in the pro-abortion arsenal. Okay, This is what they use. Why? Because it fits well. It fits well, especially with our current cultural moment. What I want, what I feel, is always paramount. Not just about abortion, we see that with so many other issues that we as believers might struggle with. I, me, and my are the operative words here. I want what's best for me, my body, my choice. And so pro-choice, I believe, is the devil's phrase, for the radical autonomy that permits people to fool their conscience into thinking that taking the life of an unborn child is somehow okay or even a moral choice. I want to show you a video to illustrate this. I have four videos this morning, and uh, this one's the longest one. It's about a five-minute clip, but it's of an abortionist named Dr. Willie Parker. He's a hero of the pro-aborts and has actually written a book that we'll hear about in the interview. He tries to convince this interviewer that he does abortions because it's the Christian thing for him to do. Now watch for the moment in this video when this abortion doctor figures out that this is not going to be the easy interview that he thought it would be. You see him, he's very relaxed at the beginning, and so watch for that. And then he begins to dance around the hard questions. So let's take a look at this.
1: Abortion is still one of the most divisive issues In America Today. I have with me Dr. Willie Parker, an OBGYN specializing in abortions. He's also the author of Life's Work, A Moral Argument for Choice. Dr. Parker has been featured in Esquire, NPR, New York Times, Rolling Stone, Newsweek, and more. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to do abortions?
2: Somebody once said when you wrestle with your conscience and you lose, you actually win. And for me, uh, that wrestling with conscience started about 14 years ago. The reality is that one in three women in this country by the time they're age 45 will have an abortion. And it's the most common uh, healthcare procedure that is offered. It's also one of the safest, but it's also one of the most controversial because it is a decision that is unique to women. My awareness as a physician of what happens to women when that care is not available, uh, convicted me around uh, what it meant to be a woman's healthcare provider and to be a Christian, which ultimately led me to conclude that there was nothing doctrinally or specific about abortion in sacred texts, whichever one you're talking about, nor was there anything that prohibited women from having control over their lives and their bodies to make the same decisions that men are entitled to make as moral agents.
1: That's amazing. Um, How is abortion a health care procedure?
2: So when uh, a woman has a pregnancy that... Uh, affects her health or that she decides to end, if she doesn't have an opportunity to end it safely, anything that risks or ends your, uh, that uh, poses a risk to your health is a health care issue. Uh, but it's
1: f- not a health care issue for, I mean, it's a health care issue for the baby, the unborn child, in that you're killing the baby, so I don't know how that is a health care issue for the child.
2: Well, you know, the, so one of the things that when people describe abortion that way, uh, the way My I look way. at uh, of calling abortion murder, or they call a developing pregnancy a baby, what they're telling me is that they have a certain understanding about what a baby is or about what they think health care is. If we're going to be precise in our language, baby is a cultural term. It's not a scientific or a medical term. And before, you're not a baby before you're born. You're entitled to say that you don't believe that women should have abortion. But because of our laws, you're not entitled to block a woman from having an abortion, or you're not entitled to force a woman to agree
1: with well, your Well, aren't you taking a life inside uh, the, the womb? Aren't you taking I a in am life?
2: Actually, actually, a pregnancy, when you do an abortion, yes, a pregnancy does end a life. So but does it you, end so a you person? Are,
1: so you are killing an unborn child if you're taking a life. You're not taking the life of an animal. You're not taking the life of the woman, so you're taking the life of a child. You're, that, is da- that
2: right? I, uh, I disagree with you. I but understand you are what you're killing,
1: saying. you are killing an unborn child,
2: right? Uh, I'm not killing an unborn child. You're taking I'm the life of pregnancy. an unborn child. I'm ending a pregnancy.
1: But does that require you to take the life of the child that's in the woman's womb? I
2: don't define a pregnancy as a child. And I, like, like Does I said, it have
1: a life? Uh, is it a living?
2: It is a living entity. It right. is a life. So it is a t- human being because so, women don't have puppies. So, but it is not a baby. And if it were a baby... It would be a person, correct? So the reality well, let, me, is, let me finish. So the reality let,
1: is you are taking a life. So is that do, true
2: or not? Do, do you want to have a dialogue yeah, or but, do you want, you, want to like, you want to let me ask, answer your question or do you want to answer my question?
1: Answer the question about okay. are you taking a life?
2: Okay. Yes, an abortion ends a life. Now, mm-hmm. what I asked you was you're saying a pregnancy is a baby, right? It's an unborn child. It's an unborn child. Okay. Yes. So if I kill a child, that's murder, right?
1: You mean when that's If I kill a hard. child,
2: yes. you say... Okay, so if I'm killing a child, if I'm doing an abortion in an abortion clinic, if you call the police, will they come and arrest me? They won't because why? of the law. Why?
1: But that still doesn't does take the law away... Say? That still doesn't take away the fact that you're taking a life. And we both agree that you are taking a life. Correct. Do you believe that human beings are in a fallen state? No. You do not, and I why know.
2: not? Because I think... That uh, it requires a biblical literalism and it requires an understanding that says that everybody is immoral and that they have to be redeemed in some way. I have a different understanding and a different significance of what the life of Jesus Christ meant.
1: You grew up in the South. You were a Absolutely. Christian. And Absolutely. you believed at one point that we were in a fallen state due to sin and we needed to repent. I had overcome that understanding. That. Yes. What changed your mind about that? What changed my that? mind is
2: yes. I understand that the Bible is a sacred text and that I don't approach the Bible literally as the Word of God.
0: Okay, so he told us a lot there, didn't he? He told us a lot, and you saw the dance around the questions, and and you, you, you clearly saw the moment when he realized, hey, this guy is not as friendly as I thought he was going to be toward my view. But the thing that I want to get at, there's a lot of things we could pick apart about what he saw, but you're all intelligent, and you can figure those things out too, but... How else can you explain this man's change of heart other than a seared conscience? I don't know of any other way to figure that. When you dismiss the authority of the Word of God, and this man said he did, he admitted it, your conscience is already seared, or on the way to being seared, and when your conscience is seared, you can justify almost anything. Notice that he also referenced one of the responses we hear often in trying to justify abortion, Okay, well, I guess I have to admit that it's a human being. It is taking a life, but it's not a person until they're born. It's not a child. I don't consider it a baby. This is part of the moving target that I spoke of earlier. Clearly, this man who's performed abortions knows that it's a life because he said so and because he has suctioned unborn children from their mother's wombs, and he's had to do the inventory afterwards that abortionists have to do when he looks for the baby's body parts to make sure he got it all out of there. The other thing that occurred to me watching this was the phrase applied by an author in the 1960s to the Nazi Adolf Eichmann. It's a phrase, the banality of evil. Anybody heard that before? Taking an innocent human life is an evil thing. But here we have this abortion doctor, smart, articulate, well-mannered, normal. Yet he makes his living killing unborn babies. That's his job. And he's promoting that killing as good. You notice he wrote the book, did you notice the ironic title, Life's Choice? The banality of evil is a phrase that was coined by a Jewish writer named Hannah Arendt. She wrote a book about the trial of Eichmann, and he was one of the perpetrators of the Nazi Holocaust. He was an architect of the systematic destruction of millions of human lives. One of the things that struck her was how normal and how mundane Eichmann seemed throughout the course of the trial. Eichmann no doubt considered that the Jews were less than persons. He no doubt considered what he was doing to be a good thing. But he, what, we do know that what he did was horrific and barbaric, and he somehow didn't seem evil. Does that sound familiar? Another parallel with Nazi Germany is seen in this next video that I want to show you. You remember, those of you who remember your history, and you've seen some uh, film of Hitler speaking about the final solution, right? That was the Nazi Holocaust, extinction of the Jewish people. And what happened in the crowds? They cheered, right? They cheered. There's a website and an organization called Shout Your Abortion. And on the website, you'll see headlines like this. Fortunate and privileged to have my abortion. It's okay to choose for yourself. I've had three abortions and I'm not sorry. I've never questioned what I knew was right for me. I have no regrets. It is because I believe life is precious that I chose abortion. My husband and I simply want to be child-free, the best decision of my life. So on this website, shoutyourabortion.com, and if you have a strong stomach, you can go visit and read some of these stories. Women tell their abortion stories, and there are hundreds of them. Written stories, videos. Well, this organization recently had a conference in Seattle and had an actress named Martha Plimpton on stage with the same doctor we just saw, Dr. Willie Parker, the abortionist we just heard from. Watch this brief exchange at the beginning of this conference.
3: This is really, this is exciting for me on so many levels, for so many reasons. Number one, I'm here getting to talk with Dr. Parker, whom I've met a few times, um, and is, uh, of course, one of my heroes and, and one of my favorite people and now one of my favorite writers by the way, because uh, I've read your book, believe it or not I did I did read it before we did this and I encourage all of you to do the same but also because I'm here in Seattle with you. Now uh, Seattle has some uh, particular uh, significance for me for lots of reasons. Um, I've got a lot of family here, some of whom are here in the audience tonight. Um, I also had my first abortion at the Seattle Planned Parenthood. Yay! Notice I said first. I said first, and I don't want Seattle, I don't want you guys to feel insecure. It was my best one. (laughs) heads and tails above the rest. If I could Yelp review it, (laughs) I totally would.
0: Wow. So there's the banality of evil with Dr. Willie Parker and a seared conscience. But here he is, along with this actress, celebrating, celebrating this. You know, For years, the pro-aborts argument was we want to keep it safe, legal, and rare. Does this sound like they want to keep it safe, legal, and rare? That's the thing. They're trying to normalize abortion. It's kind of like having a tooth-pull, just an everyday medical procedure. No big deal. Well, just because it happens every day doesn't mean it's not evil, my brothers and sisters. One of the challenges is that the shapers of our culture in movies and television and music and media are mostly all in with the abortion agenda. They're trying to do their best to normalize it, even for teenagers. I think it's always good for all of us to ask the question, what is shaping us? Are the values of our culture, what we see in the various media, are those the things that are shaping our values, what is right, what is wrong, what's important, what's not important? Or are our minds being renewed and shaped and formed by the word of God? But our culture wants to indoctrinate us with the dogma of abortion, among other things. If you doubt that, you can go to the Planned Parenthood website, and there's a link on that website that says Teens. And you go to that and you can see what Planned Parenthood has to say to teens about sex and about abortion. And then there's the popular Canadian-produced uh, TV show called Degrassi. It's a series of TV shows which in its various versions has actually run for several years since the early 2000s on different networks, including MTV, and in America on the teen version of Nickelodeon, and ironically on the Family Channel. The latest version of the show is called Degrassi Next Class, and it's on Netflix now, and it follows the lives of teenagers in high school. The program, make note of this, it's aimed at teenagers. That's the uh, intended audience. Among the many things in our culture that this show te- attempts to normalize is abortion. You can imagine what it might do with many of the other issues. But one of the main characters in this clip I'm going to show you is pregnant from a one-night stand with her best friend's bisexual older brother while his boyfriend is in the hospital recovering from a coma. You got all that? That's not all really that important, but it gives you an idea where this show will take you. So take a look.
4: You must be Lola. I'm Dr. Bainford. A little nervous? I gave it away. Don't worry. It's perfectly normal. The IV that the nurse gave you will help you relax. Well, I need to take a look at your uterus. Feet in those stirrups. Okay. Will it hurt? Have you had a pap? Once. It should feel similar. Well down. While I'm down here, I'll apply a numbing medication.
5: Like, at the dentist?
4: Well, hopefully she puts it in your gums. (laughs) (laughs) So, 16, huh? Mm -hmm. You must be in grade 11, right? Yep. Learning anything interesting in school?
5: I'm doing a project about uh, medicine in the Middle Ages.
4: (laughs) Did you know back then most surgeries were done by barbers?
5: (laughs) Really, I'd never trust you with my hair.
4: Okay, now I'll use an aspirator. It's kind of like a vacuum. It'll suck out the contents of the uterus. Anything you want to ask before we start?
5: Am I the first 16-year-old you've ever done this to?
4: You're not the first today. You ready? Okay, let's start.
0: So cue the soft music. Everything's okay now. I want you to notice some things here. You're not the first today, he said. How normal is this, huh? He could have said, well, it's just like getting your cavity filled. Notice how nice the doctor was? Your friendly neighborhood abortionist. What a great guy. He even has a relaxing sense of humor, didn't he? Don't we all want such nice doctors taking such good care of us? Reasonable, professional, performing a valuable service. Now the tube he was going to insert was going to suck the unborn child out piece by piece. But he called it the contents of the uterus. Another phrase in the vast repertoire of pro-abortion euphemisms. Much easier than telling this 16-year-old girl This scared 16 year old girl that he was going to make sure her baby was gone and dead and sucked out piece by piece. Language matters, folks. Language matters. That's why pro choice is such a deception. Choose what? However, our culture is doubling down, not just on the choice, but the celebration. Remember how the audience cheered the actress about her abortion in the clip we saw a moment ago? Well, it gets worse. Because here's another clip from the same TV show, and it follows this 16-year-old who just had her abortion. Watch.
5: Do you think I'm a bad person because you made a difficult decision? It wasn't difficult for me. It's scary, yeah, but not difficult. And afterwards, I, I didn't feel sad. Well, I mean, that's good, isn't it? Except now I feel bad for not feeling sad. I've been staring at this photo all afternoon. I feel nothing, except the desire to tweeze her unibrow. Well, doesn't that mean you just made the right choice? Frankie and Shay don't agree. They think I'm a murderer. They said that? I can barely handle my roots. How could I possibly handle baby? A lot of women would support you. I mean, Nicki Minaj had an abortion in high school. Really? The point is, a lot of women have abortions and feel no shame. I feel like I'm the first. Yeah, because the world makes everybody too scared to talk about it. Well... That you should talk about it. Maybe you could. Cam is rolling. My name is Lola Piscini. Yesterday I was pregnant and now I'm not. And i like to talk about it. There's so many things I want to do in high school and being a mom is not one of them. It might not be everyone's choice, but it was mine. And I'm not ashamed. My hair looks so flat in that video. Why didn't you tell us? You were so judgy about the sex. I couldn't imagine telling you about the other stuff. I would've supported you, even if it wasn't the right decision for me. Yeah, truthfully,
2: I don't know what I'd do if I was actually pregnant.
5: Me neither. Making that difficult choice and standing up for it? (laughs) You're courageous. We should go out and celebrate, if you feel up to it. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you thinking, ice cream? No, gelato. J- There's a place near my house. you 3 uh, To celebrate Lola's bravery.
2: Did you save a cat from a tree?
5: No, she shared the story of her abortion online. Frank's? The whole point of the video was to own it. You should check it out.
0: Can you see how insidious this is? It's made even more so by the dramatic presentation and the nice, soft, soothing music, right? This girl was afraid of judgment, but she said she wasn't ashamed. And so we see another thing that's true in our culture. Judging people's personal choices is about the worst thing you can do. Her friends not only supported her choice, but made her to be out some sort of courageous hero. And then the boy who got her pregnant walks by. You wouldn't have known that unless I just told you that, but the boy who asked the question, where are you guys going? That was the boy who got her pregnant. Did you see the look on his face? When he learned that she had aborted the baby that he didn't even know about in the first place, and then he learned that she had just told the whole world about it with a video online without even telling him first. Let's all go get ice cream to celebrate. You have to wonder what he thought about her choice. The look on his face gave you a clue. But then again, he's just the baby daddy, and he has no say in this matter. But the girl soothed her conscience, which had given her at least some semblance of guilt. She was feeling something there, right? And then her friends helped her see that conscience with their celebration of her quote-unquote bravery or courage. You might wonder about the purpose of the creators and writers of this TV show. Well, conveniently, I found a quote where they told us. First of all, the title of the episode was I Regret Nothing. That's probably enough to tell us their purpose. But the series co-creator said this, said we wanted to show that it's possible to make a strong choice like this and be okay. We thought for young modern women it's very important to signal to them that this is their body, it is their choice. The series creator said the woman who wrote this episode was also really big on wanting to show that there's no shame in what Lola did and we wanted to see Lola own it. I think that's very positive for young girls. So We need to ask the question, how helpful is it for teenage girls to see abortion as a small thing? No big deal. Now I want to be careful here because if statistics hold true, here in this room today like they do out there, one in three American women have had abortions. I doubt that one in every three women here has, but it's possible that maybe even likely that someone has. Maybe someone in this room's had an abortion. If not, many of us know someone who's had an abortion. So shaming them, per se, is not necessarily the best way to start. But we must remember that shame fills a purpose. I'm ashamed of my sins. I'm ashamed of my sins. But Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sins. And in paying that penalty for my sins, he also removes my shame. He bore my sin. He bore my shame. So abortion is clearly, and I don't want to imply that, a at all is clearly not an unforgivable offense. But I do believe this, people like Martha Plimpton, the actress that was celebrating her abortion, and Dr. Willie Parker promoting, performing, and celebrating abortion, I think they're held to a much higher standard than a scared, if foolish and confused, 16-year-old girl. After all, they're not just not ashamed. They celebrate the intentional taking of a human life we read in Romans chapter 1 the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth suppressing the truth is at least one step closer to a seared conscience and then in verse 32 of Romans chapter 1 we read though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's what we're seeing with the whole abortion issue, giving approval, the celebrating. This is where Scripture is so clear. Advocates of abortion like Dr. Parker are fond of twisting Scripture. I think it's ironic he says he's not a biblical literist, literalist, excuse me, but he uses the reality that the Bible doesn't use the word abortion as part of his so called biblical justification that kinda sounds like a literal approach to me so yes we can acknowledge it's true that the word abortion isn't found in the Bible it isn't however there are many verses that are very implicit about God's view of abortion now I could provide you with a long long list of key verses but we're gonna look at just a few this morning first of all there's the sixth commandment which is foundational to any pro-life argument from Scripture, you shall not kill. This is a pro-life syllogism. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Now, Christians aren't the only one to believe this. I think most of the world would say, yes, I agree with that. Secondly, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, Abortion is wrong. It all seems so simple, even logically, even without our biblical uh, convictions. And then there's the value of life in the womb that we see. And here's just a couple verses: uh, Jeremiah chapter one verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Galatians 1:15: Even before I was born, God had chosen me to be His. We see this idea again. And again, in Scripture, God knew us. God knew the person that we would become when we were yet to be born, when we were still in our mother's womb. In the the Old Testament, the unborn child was granted equal protection in the law. If he lost his life, the one who caused his death must lose his own life. This is probably the passage of Scripture that comes the closest to actually addressing abortion. Exodus 21, verses 22 and 23. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined. If there is serious injury, you are to take life for life. That's pretty serious. So though the uh, issue of abortion is not directly dealt with in Scripture, the Word tells us plenty about children inside and outside the womb. In light of what is explicitly stated about children and the unborn, in light of what is explicitly stated about murder, it is fair to conclude that God hates abortion. The Bible doesn't address every issue known to man, but it does give us principles that can guide every important decision. For example, the Bible says nothing explicitly about pretending to be the IRS and demanding money from people. We hear about scams like that every day. But the seventh commandment says do not steal. So, pretending to be someone you're not for the purpose of getting money from them is the same as coming into their house and taking that money. That's a principle. It's a biblical principle that we can derive. The Bible says nothing about driving 85 miles per hour in a 35 mile per hour zone. But the Bible does say something about obeying governing authorities. So there are things that are clear in Scripture implicitly. And God's view of abortion is one of those things. The Bible doesn't provide a specific prohibition against killing kindergartners. We know it's wrong because it falls under the all-encompassing standard of the Sixth Commandment. So the word speaks to abortion as it speaks to pretty much every other important topic under the sun by teaching us who God is and what he requires of us. The reason it's wrong to kill a child in the classroom or a child in the womb is because it's wrong to murder. Age or development doesn't change anything. Another thing to consider is that the Bible doesn't give us any hint that human beings in the womb are categorized any differently than those who are outside the womb. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament routinely refer to the unborn as babies or children. There's no such word as fetus in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Ironically, our culture has totally undermined the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. That may not be a sacred text, but it's close. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is a biblical value that's enshrined in our nation's founding documents, Yet liberty, which is another word for freedom, and the pursuit of happiness have taken precedence over life in our culture today. Even though the reality is that life is, after all, the first, foremost, and most foundational of these self-evident truths that our founding fathers enumerated in that document. But we must remember first that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And this means that God's image belongs to to us, simply because God made us. It's not something we earn or accomplish by time or development. It's given by God. It's breathed into us, we read in Genesis. The Word of God never speaks of us becoming human or attaining God's image. So we regard, as believers in Christ, we regard life as valuable, and indeed we regard it as sacred It's sacred only because God created it. It has nothing to do with what kind of a person we are. It has nothing to do with what we are going to grow to be, how talented or how good-looking we are, or how smart we are. That's why we can love the unborn as persons worthy of our protection. Now, I don't know about you, but all of this feels quite overwhelming. I felt pretty overwhelmed this week. I was actually borderline depressed going through all of this stuff, gathering all of this stuff and trying to decide. Uh, there's so much that I left out that I could have done this morning. We would be here until 2 o'clock and I figured we don't want to be here that long on Mother's Day. As in many other moral issues that have become cultural issues, my brothers and sisters, we are swimming against the tide. We are swimming upstream. We've elected pro-life legislators at all levels. We've elected pro-life presidents. And still the abortion holocaust continues at nearly a million babies each and every year. We talked about the bad news, and that's important for us to understand, I believe. But the good news here, folks, is that the abortion rate is actually declining. Though 19% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's a pretty sobering statistic in the most recent year for which statistics are available, the number of abortions was the lowest that it has been since 1973, when abortion became legal in every state. So how can we walk the walk of being pro-life and not just talk the talk? One is we can educate ourselves. We can understand the issues. We can understand the arguments. And hopefully this morning we've at least scratched the surface of that a little bit. There's a wealth of resources available if you want to understand the issues and you want to be prepared to discuss them intelligently. You can come to me and I can give you some of those resources. You can go to Diane Shepard, the president of the MEND board, and uh, here are two that you can get online if you're interested. And there are many other good places as well where they clearly, articulately spell out logically, logically, not all from a Christian perspective, because some people find that easy to dismiss, just from a moral, philosophical way you can uh, talk about these issues. But since 1992, when I first became involved with Men Pregnancy Resource Center, I have firmly believed that these kinds of ministries, there are a handful in Tulsa, and they're in cities all across the country, have the most impact. Now there's nothing wrong with protesting, There's nothing wrong with lobbying legislators. There's certainly nothing wrong with a peaceful presence at our only abortion clinic here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There's absolutely nothing wrong with praying for these women, these women who feel so trapped and desperate that they're willing to abort their unborn children. And they're encouraged by our culture, as we've seen, to think that it's no big deal. But today, we can help a very fruitful and effective ministry. It's mend Pregnancy Resource Center. I think we're all familiar with MET because we've highlighted this most of the last several years when we do the Baby Bottle Fundraiser. So you can take home one or more of these baby bottles. They're out here in the foyer, okay? And you can fill them with cash or checks, return them to the box in the foyer. The money that we give helps pregnant women with all kinds of resources so that they can give life to their babies. It helps pay for ultrasounds. They're very effective, still effective, in challenging abortion-minded women to see, to actually see that growing life inside them. And often it happens. It's Diane just told me last week that it's not as high a percentage as it used to be because, again, we're battling the things that we just saw. But there's still a good number of women who will see that and change their minds and decide, I cannot abort my child that's inside me. MEND provides many practical services that enable women who choose to keep their babies to find the resources they need or to refer them to an agency that can help them with adoption. So today, this is how we want to end it on a positive, affirming note. Because like I said, hearing all this stuff is discouraging, disturbing, and even depressing. But here's how we can do this. We can honor the women, our mothers, who chose to give us life by helping this organization that works on the front lines in a loving and compassionate way, fighting the battle against abortion each day. This is a way we can all be pro-life and honor the God who gave us mothers as his instrument in bringing us life. So consider how you might be involved in this. If you have questions, again, you can contact me. You can contact Diane Shepherd, uh, who's, who's very active in this. This is a major part of her life now. And, um, and let's just remember that God loves these women. And that's one of the messages that men tries to get across to these women. And again, many of them are desperate. It's hard to believe in today's uh, day and time and how available information is that there are still women who don't really know. I mean, you think, come on, really? But it's true. There are still women who don't really know. MEND is on the front lines. When women are desperate and pregnant, they go to MEND, and men tells them the truth, but in a very loving, very compassionate way. So it's a worthy organization, and it's a way we can be pro-life together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the mothers who chose to give us life. We're grateful, Father, for uh, the reality of your love for life, that you made us in your image and because we have worth and value just because you made us just because we are made in your image father help us to lovingly confront the truth in this day and age father as we encounter people in our own lives as we encounter all these things Lord these arguments Lord help us to lovingly and compassionately challenge people with the truth so father we can be your light with this issue. And Father, help us, Lord, to uh, pray for these women. Help us to pray for organizations like MEND and like uh, Crisis Pregnancy Outreach and other fine organizations in our very own city that do good work on the front lines of helping women choose life. We thank you for these things, Father. We commit now this time to you and ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you Bill. Um, I'm proud to be part of a fellowship that has